Well, each week, as we're moving towards Christmas, we've been having what's known as Advent, taking a look at a different aspect of the beauty, really, of Jesus' life, His birth. We've already looked at peace and hope, and today our focus will be on joy. And and the way to kind of bring this home, we've been showing a, a video by the Bible Project, and this morning we'll see one on joy. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. 
He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. You know, I hope these videos are helpful. I think they bring clarity to these concepts that we, we sometimes don't really understand. Um, I want to pray for the message. And we're going to talk about joy this morning. And I hope you'll leave afterwards with joy. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you always. Um, the truth that no matter the circumstance, Lord, that no matter what's happening in our lives, we can still have joy, true joy found in you because of the truth of who you are, your kindness and love displayed through Christ. I pray, Father, that this message this morning will hammer that home, will bring it not only to our minds but to our hearts and that you by your spirit would fill us with joy. Help us, Lord, this morning to, to have an open heart. Each of us, may we not only hear your word, but respond to it. And I pray we respond with joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So joy for the Christian is more than just a feeling. It's more than, if you will, an emotion based on circumstance. As we just saw in the video, joy is based on the fact that we have a sovereign God. He is over all things. He knows your need. He knows my need. And because He's sovereign, everything that happens in our life is for our good and for His glory. And we can still have joy even when all things are crumbling around us. We can still rejoice in Him because of that truth. That is Christian joy. Paul called this joy the, the joy of faith and the joy in the Lord. And as the video said, he believed it was a gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love overcame death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love and that's what biblical joy is all about. But can I tell you something? As I look at our culture, as I watch the news, as I kind of watch what's happening with Christmas right now, both with those that don't really believe in Jesus and even with those that do, this season, to me, seems to be a time where people kind of spin out. You get so busy. It's all about the parties and the gifts and the food and the stuff and the trimmings. And we forget, we forget what the true meaning of Christmas is all about and why we, God's people, can truly be joyful and should be joyful this morning. Well, can I tell you, that's not what happened that first Christmas night. That first Christmas night, there were shepherds out on the fields. 
And what they're going to experience that night is true joy, amazing joy, a gift of the Spirit. They were on the hills that overlooked Bethlehem. That was the night that Jesus was born. And they are going to experience a life-changing event. And these shepherds, they were in, in their fields, they were watching over the sheep. And understand that area of Bethlehem, particularly at that time, things were changing. Caesar Augustus had called a census. That meant that people went to Bethlehem to register for the census. And so Bethlehem was just crowded. It was packed. And by the way, shepherds don't like crowded cities. They like rolling hills and the smell of grass and the cool night air. And also they don't like cities because people in cities look down on shepherds. Understand, for a shepherd, they're viewed as the lowest of society. They're kind of grouped in with the tax collectors and the sinners. But this night, the night that the Christ child will be born, God is going to take a forgotten people and they will no longer be forgotten, but they're going to be a part of the Christmas story. And it is a story of joy. And the way that these shepherds respond and the way that others respond in this story is the way that we as God's people should respond as well. As a matter of fact, we're going to see five responses to the message of joy. And I pray that you can see these responses in your life. So what should our response be to the joyful news of Jesus Christ? First thing this morning is we should respond with seeking. We should respond with seeking. You could say we should respond with seeking to know more. Maybe that's you. But for some of you this morning, you need to find them. This is a message of joy for you. Let me read the text. This is verses 8 through 15, Luke chapter 2, in the same region. There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a, babe, a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Hey, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So understand the setting here where the shepherds lived in Bethlehem. It wasn't just a peaceful setting with rolling hills and little stars twinkling in the sky. Now understand, Rome was oppressing the Jews. This was a time of suffering. This was a time that the people had been crying out to God, Oh God, help us. We are slaves again. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says that Caesar Augustus had called a census. And, and so people had to go back to the place that they were born and they had to register for the census. 
And so Mary and Joseph, they had to travel about 90 miles. You're talking a, a pregnant woman, as we know in the picture on a donkey perhaps, coming 90 miles over tough terrain, desert terrain, to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, it, it's a little known village. It's really just a basic little town. I mean, we went there in Israel when we were there. It's really changed now. They even have a stars and bucks now. They don't have Starbucks. They're not allowed. So they have a stars and bucks in Bethlehem. <laughs> just joking. It's true. But I want you to know there's a couple things that makes Bethlehem very special. Bethlehem is the place where King David was born and raised. I mean, think about that. King David probably roamed those same hills as a shepherd boy, just as these shepherds had roamed. And Bethlehem is also the place where the prophet Micah prophesied the Messiah. He's going to come from that little town. Let me read that to you. Micah 5, 2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel, and his goings forth are from long ago from the days of eternity. So this little humble town, really a no-name town, is a town that God has decided will be the place where the Messiah, the Anointed One, will be born. And these shepherds get to be part of this story. Matter of fact, they're a very important part. And, and they were staying out on the fields by night. According to history, the shepherds were typically out in the fields around Bethlehem, around Bethlehem between April to November. And some scholars feel that perhaps it was probably sometime around springtime when Jesus was born. Understand that the, the weather there is almost a mirror image of the weather here, almost exactly the same. And so the shepherds are out in the fields and, and they would roam the fields and then at night what they would do, they would gather their sheep and they typically would build some kind of a rock structure. By the way, when you go to Israel, there's rocks everywhere. And they build some kind of a loose structure and put the sheep in there. Oftentimes, one of them would lay across the entrance and it would be the actual door. And the fact that the shepherds are out there that night, it's actually very significant. Because understand, this wasn't always the case there around Bethlehem and in, around Jerusalem. About 600 years prior, the prophet Jeremiah, he was warning the people, repent, repent, turn, turn from idol worship, but they wouldn't listen. And so God sent the Babylonians, and the Babylonians came in, conquered the land, conquered the Jews, and they pulled all those from Judah out. And for over 70 years, those fields were empty, no shepherds, no sheep. But the prophet Jeremiah, he prophesied that one day the shepherds and the sheep, they would be back, and in those days, God would bring his Messiah. Listen to the prophecy. This is Jeremiah 33, verses 12 through 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, there will again be in this place which is waste without man or beast, and in its cities a habitation of shepherds who rest their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, in the environs of Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, this is here, the flocks will again pass under the hands of the one who numbers them, says the Lord. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. This night, 
those shepherds fulfill this prophecy. Wow. They're God chosen. They've been given a special place in God's redemptive plan. They are called by God. And do you know that Jesus, he has a special place in his heart for shepherds? Matter of fact, Jesus called himself what? The great shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. Also in Matthew 9, 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Why would God care about shepherds? Because this is the heart of our God. He has compassion for all men and women, but particularly for the, those that are low and humble. And this was a special night, and, and it was a special night. The shepherds, are, they're out there. I don't know what shepherds do when they kind of hang out. They're doing shepherd talk, right? Hanging around a fire probably. But think about it. All of a sudden, a light kind of envelops them, and suddenly an angel is standing before them. Can you picture that? Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Think about the picture there. You're just doing what you do when you're a shepherd, just another night of any night, and all of a sudden, this light envelops you. Many call it maybe the Shekinah glory of God, the same glory that filled the temple. Suddenly is about them. The holiness of God descends. Your sin is exposed, and suddenly in your midst, you have an angel, and it says they were frightened. Guys, you'd be terrified. I'd be terrified. Do you know that when Daniel was confronted with the angel Gabriel. It says he fell like a dead man. What does that mean? He passed out. So there's a reason why they're frightened. And many believe that this is the angel Gabriel. Why? Because the angel Gabriel, he was the announcement angel. He's the one that God used to announce, hey, the Messiah is coming, all the way back to Daniel, as a matter of fact. Gabriel is the one who spoke to Daniel, saying, coming down in history, is going to be a Messiah. It was this angel that also spoke to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and he told him, your son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. The angel Gabriel is also the one that spoke to Ju Joseph, who's Jesus' hap uh, stepfather, and he told him that th this one coming, he's going to be God in flesh. And of course, it was the angel Gabriel that spoke to Mary. And he told Mary, you're going to be with child. It's going to be supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit that will cause you to be with child. And they were terribly frightened. But what better group for God to show up to than these, than these shepherds? And they have a message but first, before they share that message, they say, do not be afraid in verse 10. I'm not bringing judgment, a message of judgment. I'm bringing grace, God's kindness to you. 
And the angel said in verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And he says, behold, behold means, hey, listen up. This is very important. Don't miss this. You don't want to miss this one. Behold, I bring you, you, you shepherds, I bring you good news. That's gospel news. The good news of the gospel. The Messiah is coming of great joy. Guys, this is the message of joy. This is why we can have joy no matter the circumstance. This is the message that changes all messages. Does the world offer you joy? Does the world give you joy? No. The world gives you stuff and little moments of happiness, doesn't it? But what God offers us is real joy. Remember what the video said. It said this, it says, human history isn't a joy fest. We live in a world that has been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And, th and this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and His promises. And right there, Jesus is that hope. He is the, off, off, the offer of God's promise. This was good news to the shepherds personally. It was good news for all of mankind. And it's good news for whoever will listen. Why? It tells us right there in verse 11. Because God is sending a Savior. A Savior. Do you understand if it says that He's sending a Savior, it presupposes that we need saving? Did you get that one? Look at the text. It says, For today in the city of David there has been born for you. Looking right at those shepherds. For you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The city of David is the, the city of Bethlehem. And God has, has sent a Savior. A Savior into the world. Do you know if you're here this morning, you're here because God wants you to hear that you need a Savior. You need a Savior. You, you need a Savior. I need a Savior. This is the message. There is no other message. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. This is it. This is why it's such great news. This is why it's the great news of wonderful joy. We need a Savior. And God saw that. And he sent a Savior. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus came to rescue you from you. To rescue me from me. Can we always answer why things happen, why difficult things happen? This is a very difficult thing to answer, but I can tell you this. God stepped into time and space to suffer so that we would not suffer for eternity. He sent a Savior. And He sent a Savior because each of us has a sin nature. Do you understand? Sin is not just what you do. Sin is who you are. That's why Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, I mean, I'm trying to be a good person. I, I try to keep the commandments. I, I try to keep the law. That's why Romans 3.20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law cannot and will not save you. What it does, it makes you aware, uh-oh, I'm a sinner. I need saving. Well, God took care of that. He sent a Savior. And this Savior has come to take away your guilt and your sin. What greater joy is there than the realization that we have a Savior? And he says he, he sent his Son, who is Christ the Lord, in verse 11. So he introduces here these concepts of Christ, which means the anointed one. The angel Gabriel told Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, this in Matthew 1, 21, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus in Hebrew means Jehovah is salvation. And instead of giving his name here, the angel gives the title, Christ the Lord, Christos and Kurios, Christos. He's the anointed one, the one who has the authority. He is the one on high. He's the Messiah, Christos, and Lord. Now, if you were to say that in Hebrew, Yahweh, He is God amongst us, God in the flesh. He is the Savior, who is Christ, who is Lord. The angel Gabriel also told Joseph, in Matthew 1, 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Translated means God with us. This baby is unique. He's one of a kind. I call him the only 200% person, 100% God, 100% man. God with us. But how do you know? Well, he doesn't have a halo over his head. He doesn't have light shining out of his face. How are they going to find him? The angel tells him in verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of babies there in Bethlehem at that time. A lot of people were there for the census. But this is a unique baby because he's born in a feeding trough for animals. And he's been placed there in claws. So they'll be able to find him. So these shepherds receive this holy announcement. To them a child has been born and he's a savior of the world. He's Lord. And because he's Lord, he's king. And just as these shepherds are pondering this news, as they're kind of taking this in suddenly, and I don't know what this looks like, but suddenly there is a multitude, and I mean a multitude of angels and they begin praising God, singing and glorifying God. By the way, that word multitude is murion. That means a number you cannot count. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. I don't know if there's like a veil and it's suddenly open and they see them or suddenly they come down from heaven, but wow, there's angels everywhere. And they're praising God for what He has done. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And these angels are doing what they always do, bringing glory to God. And they're praising God 
Because in that manger is a baby. Because God has taken care of our issue. It is a rescue operation. And this baby is unique. Jesus is the substitute that you and I need. Animals won't do it. We need a person who would die for another person. But that person has to have no sin. And you have the sinless one lying there in the manger who went through every stage that you went through and I went through. He was a baby and and then a toddler and then a child and then a teenager and then full grown. And in each one of those stages, his father was pleased. Never sinned once. So he can be that substitute for mankind. His life for your life. His life for my life. A savior. And what he's doing is he came to establish peace. Peace. Peace with God. Do you understand that, that we are estranged from God? The natural man, the natural woman, without Christ, you are estranged. You are an enemy of God. The Bible says you're at enmity with God. You need rescuing. And Jesus is the one who's come to rescue and to bring in peace with God. This is why Romans 5, 1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the angels, they sing on earth, peace among men. They're not singing about internal peace, peaceful thoughts. They're, they're singing about the peace that is established, the reconciliation that is established by God with us through Christ. And without him, there is no peace. This is why what Pastor Neil shared right here in John 3.16, it's so important. Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him will have, present tense, eternal life, peace with God forever. But for the unbeliever, no peace. For the unbeliever, the Bible says you are under the wrath of God, under the judgment of God. And your only hope, your only means of escape is Jesus Christ. This is why Paul wrote in Romans 5.10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He's speaking of the resurrection. I mean, what incredible news. What an amazing thing. The angels are singing, they're dancing, they're praising God. These shepherds are stunned. And then all of a sudden, they disappear. But I want you to see the response of the shepherds after they hear this unbelievable news. Look at verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds' response right here to the joyful news is they want to find the Savior. They want to seek Him out. They've got to find this baby. What an amazing message. What an incredible truth. And the way that they respond is exactly the way that we should respond every time to the message of Jesus. 
Whether you've known him like me for almost 29 years or whether you've just been introduced to him, it builds within me a desire to know him more, to seek out the truth, to, oh Lord, find my Savior. That desire, that passion, that truth, it, it drives them to find the baby. And do you know that God loves seekers? He loves it when people seek Him. Proverbs eight seventeen says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. And the video said the Israelites had waited. They chose joy to anticipate their future redemption, and it is Jesus that brings great joy. And this news right here was great news to these shepherds, and so they cannot wake to find Him. Do you feel like something's missing this Christmas? Do you feel like there's this emptiness in you and, you and you're trying to figure out what it is? Can I tell you, it's Jesus. You need Christ. You need to refocus, center in. It's Jesus Christ. You need Him because He is the message of great joy. And it, it seems to me, particularly as a pastor, and I meet a lot of people, that people are always seeking something, something that they want, something that they think that's it, that's the thing, that's the item, it'll bring me joy, that's what I've been missing. And I was reading a story even this week, really a sad story. Just this past summer, there's a man by the name of Jeff Murphy, and he was hiking in Yellowstone National Park, and he just disappeared. And, and so the park rangers, they, they began to search, and they found his body on June 9th. He had fallen down a chute on Turkey Pin Peak, but he wasn't just any hiker. He was a treasure seeker. You see, he was seeking a, a box that had gold and jewels in it that some estimate that it's worth somewhere around $2 million. And for him, it's willing to risk your life or that's what he needs to find happiness. It's riches, right? Well, that box with the gold and jewels was placed there by a millionaire by the name of Forrest Finn. And Finn had been an art dealer, an eccentric art dealer, and a millionaire. And in a self-published memoir, he included a poem that supposedly leads to the treasure in the Rocky Mountains. And Finn had only revealed that it was hidden somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border at an elevation above 5,000 feet. And it's not in a mine or near a graveyard or near any structure. And Jeff Murphy had to find that treasure to the point it took his life. By the way, he's the fourth person who died trying to find this treasure. But how many people die trying to find some kind of treasure and they missed it? Listen, if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, you've missed it. We should seek Him because that's where joy is found. It's in Him and Him alone. So what should our response be to the joyful news of Jesus Christ? We should respond with seeking. There's two more. won't take me nearly as much time. Second one, we should respond with sharing and amazement. We should respond with sharing and amazement. Look at verses 16 through 18. So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. So the shepherds, they, they, they make their way in a hurry. I mean, they just heard the unbelievable news. They've just experienced a one-to-one face-off with an angel and angels. 
and suddenly they're en route. They have to find this baby. They need to see him. And can I tell you, this is the way God works. God creates a need in our life. We have a need, and it can be anything. And oftentimes, that need drives us to begin to seek things out, and sometimes people end up in this church seeking something. And part of my job is to help them to say, you have a deeper need. You have a greater need. And I and the staff, we have the privilege often of helping people see that that need is Jesus. And then when that person discovers Christ and receives Him as Savior and Lord, that changes everything. And these shepherds, they're hungry. They want to find this baby. But that's how God works. He creates a situation that drives you to seek. And they know they have a need. They have to find Him. And they hurry to Bethlehem. And I don't know how they did it, how they found Jesus, but they found Jesus. And can you imagine the moment? I mean, suddenly they walk up and there is that baby in the manger that they were just told by an angel with thousands of others of angels behind them praising God. Imagine the moment. And that very baby that's in that manger is the one spoken of by God to Adam and Eve that said that one will crush the head of Satan. That baby's in the manger. God spoke to Abraham, I will provide you a sacrifice. That very baby right there is in the manger. And the angels just told these shepherds, he's a savior for you, for me. Now these shepherds, they believe the announcement of the angel. And what's amazing to me is when they show up, they can't contain it. I gotta tell somebody. And so they just start spilling what they heard. Look at verse 17. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. Guys, that's the proper response. We have the message of great joy, and we shouldn't contain it. We should share it. And I think about Joseph and Mary. I think think about how the dots are coming together. It's like, oh my gosh. Everything that these shepherds are sharing, they're going, oh, wow, yeah, the angel Gabriel said that, and I had this dream, and these things happened, and wow, wow. I think what I love about new believers, those who are new to Christ, is they still have this. It's a passion. It kind of drives them, and they just got to tell somebody. They haven't quite figured it all out yet, but man, something's changed, and this Jesus is real, and wow, I just got to tell somebody. But what saddens me and even saddens me about me as we get comfortable. And the message is kind of, yeah, I heard that one. You know, this is my 29th Christmas that I've heard this message of Jesus where I believe, and, and it's just another Jesus message, man. And, and I'll, I'll talk to people. I want to get time. And, and what's sad is those who are mature that really understand, that have it all down, we've, we've studied it, we got it. We may go weeks, months, even years without sharing. What is that? Guys, it's not a gift. It's passion. It's not gifting. It's passion. We need the freshness of the message again. We need to be like these shepherds. Like, wow, I cannot believe what God has done for me, for me, so that we can tell somebody. 
And then we see the next response. When they shared that message, everyone wondered. They wondered. It's awe. Verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them. Wonder is an amazing thing. It's amazement. It's awe. In the Greek, that literally is what that word means. It means amazement. They were stunned, amazed. Two responses. They had to share, and they were amazed. They, were, they wondered. They were amazed at this unbelievable message, and they had to get it out. You know, when we were in Israel, um, we went to a lot of different sites, and, and wherever we seemed to go, there was one guy that kept kind of wandering off. That's Chester Hudspeth. He's here usually second service. And what Chester would do, he'd, he'd try to find somebody so that he could talk to them about Jesus. There he is talking to a Muslim woman and her husband in one of the sites we were at. Now guys, this was a normal thing for Chester. And what he would do is he'd share with them about Jesus and then he'd hand them an app card. Now I made sure each one of you, hopefully you got an app card as you walked in. That's on purpose. I asked for this to happen. This is a Jesus film app card. It has over 1,400 different languages on it. No, 140 different languages, sorry. 140. And, and with Chester, honestly, guys, it's not a gifting. The message still amazes him. He can't contain himself. I called him this week, and I said, hey, Chester, you mind if I share this? He said, no. And I said, can you share what's going on? He goes, yeah, you know, just two days ago, I went to, went to Walmart, and he goes, I was at Walmart, and I heard this woman talking to her son about deodorant. He's a teenager, and he wasn't wearing any, and so she's talking to him about it. And so I just kind of inserted myself and said, hey, this is the deodorant I like. And he takes him to the deodorant aisle and literally says, I like this deodorant. And then he somehow transitions from deodorant to Jesus. Don't ask me how he did that. <laughs> and he shared the gospel. And then he says, hey, I, I got a card for you. It's the Jesus film and he can't find it. Oh, it's in my car. So he runs out to his car, gets the app and runs back in to bring her that. Guys, it's not gifting. It's passion. I've made sure that you have a welcome card to our church and that you have an app card. And I pray God will open the door like he did for Chester this week, like at Walmart. And you may not know what to say, but we can all say, this is the story of Christmas, really. And you can find it online. Amen? Two things we see. We should respond with seeking. We should respond with amazement and sharing. Last one. We should respond with reflection and worship with reflection and worship. Verses 19 and 20 says, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just had been told them. Now it says here that, that Mary, Jesus' mother, she treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now this is, that's an amazing statement, and, and I think... I don't know about you men, but my wife does this much more than I do. She loves to keep memories. She, she treasures things and, and keeps them, and we have all kinds of photo albums and different things that kind of highlight our life. Guys, we like to conquer things and move on, <laughs> right, for the most part. This is Mary. 
What she's doing is she's taking it and she's putting it down deep and she's going to be thinking on this stuff all the way to the point where Jesus goes to the cross and then raises from the dead. And do you know that this very baby, that she, she just has this line in the manger, one day she's going to worship him as her savior. And that's what we see with these shepherds as well. These shepherds leave in verse 20. They went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and what had just been told them. Do you know what the natural response is from this message, this message of joy? It's worship. It's worship. And that's more than just singing. It's our heart given over. Grateful to God for the Savior of the world. Grateful to God for my Savior. And the things that God has done in my life, I I have them down deep so I can think upon them and treasure them and reflect upon them. But boy, you know what it leads me to? It leads me to worship. And I pray this Christmas season that it leads you to worship as well. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you for the message of the cross. I thank you for the message of Jesus. Lord, I realize that uh, what a wonderful message. It truly is a message of joy. A message that, Lord, you have come to save. You have provided the means of peace for us, Father. In your kindness, you saw our need. And you moved forward to help us by sending your Son. Would you help us now, Lord, as we worship you? Would you fill us with your Spirit? Would you drive us to truth? And Father, would we stand in joy as we praise your name? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have the message of joy, amen? Yeah. You know, when I was sharing about Chester, I didn't want to bring any glory to him. But I wanted you to see that he still views the message of Christ with amazement. Kind of that wonder. You know, our oldest grandchild right now is four years old. He's getting Christmas this year. He's like, man, check it out. Presents and trees. And what I love about that is kind of that internal excitement. He's just like, oh, man, I can't wait. I pray that we can have some of that. Not about the gifts, but about the gift, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's go share it with others. God bless you.